James, thank you so much. Friends, it's great to be with you. My name's uh, also James. If you're visiting tonight, let me add my welcome to that of Andrews. Uh, it's glorious to have this opportunity to open this passage before us and speak from it. Uh, and um, let's pray that the Lord God, the God who speaks from heaven, would speak to each one of us. Let's pray that he would open our eyes to see these wonderful truths. Father, thank you that this passage is full of glorious pictures of the blessings you have poured out on us. And so, Father, please help us to understand this passage. Open our hearts to believe these words, to rejoice in these words. For Jesus' sake, amen. How do you want to be known? How would you like people to know you? Imagine after church, uh, a friend of yours introduces you to somebody new, and they say, this is James. What do you hope that they'll say? This is Mark. He's a great tennis player. This is John. He's class president. This is Betty. She's... Yeah, is this working? Are we, are we good here? We had this funny incident at church that this cut out. <laughs> anyway, this is not working, is it? Okay, we've got a backup. Let me take it out of my pocket. I'm nervous now. <laughs> I don't know if I can go for the whole time holding two things. I'm not sure if I'm strong enough to do that. Um, <laughs> This, what would you want someone to say? This is, this is Jerry. He's the smartest person I know. What, what would you hope somebody says to you? Somebody introduces you to. As Andrew said earlier, we, uh, some, some folk have been asking people at the O-Week store uh, a bunch of questions about identity. And one of the questions was, what do you most take pride in? Well, 40% of people said, my character. Closely behind, 32% of people said, my family. But friend, if you haven't answered that question, what would you answer? What would you say? What is it about you that makes you you? Is it your future career, some personality trait, where you grew up, who you're related to? What about you that if people don't know, you just kind of feel frustrated? I know some of you have had the experience of uh, learning English uh, here, or perhaps learning a foreign language overseas. If you've had that experience, you'll know there comes a time when people begin to look at you as if you're a bit dumb. I, I learned Japanese from kind of nothing in Japan. And when I'd go to church on a Sunday morning, I'd, in about 45 seconds, exhaust my two topics. I'd finish talking about the weather, I'd finish talking about my hobby, and then people would look at me as if I was a bit thick, and I'd be crying out my head, I'm an adult too. I've got a brain too. There was a, a, a church worker who was a few years older than me. And he was sick in Japan of, of just being kind of looked at oddly. One day he got onto a train and uh, everyone on this carriage, all these Japanese people on this carriage just were sort of eyeballing him. And he just got so frustrated, he got up from his seat. And he looked around the carriage and then he said, Watashimo ninjin desu. I'm a human too. Except, unfortunately, in Japanese, the word for human and carrot are basically the same. <laughs> Needless to say, people didn't stop staring at him. <laughs> what we think of ourselves, what other people think of us, is massively important, isn't it? 
Our practice at EV is to work through books of the Bible, and we're lo- working through this letter to the uh, letter from Peter to some Christians in modern-day Turkey. And Peter is saying to them, you guys, you Christians in Turkey have been blessed beyond measure by God. But because they've been blessed, their priority has changed. Just like Julius, they've lost friends. Some of them have lost careers. They're blessed by God, but they're misfits in their own city. They're strangers and aliens. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them in their true identity. And friends, my prayer tonight is if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Whatever people think around you, whether tomorrow people kind of sneer at you because you came to church, that you'll remember your true identity that God has poured out on you and that you'll live with a new purpose he's given you. And if you're not a a believer in Jesus, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, it's great that you're here. I want you to see what the Bible says is the Christian's true identity. And not just as a kind of third party, sort of disinterested party, to see that this identity is something that Jesus offers to give you tonight. Well, in this this passage, there are two particular new identities. In the first half, from verse 22 to to verse 3 of chapter 2, Peter says, Christians are born again. If you're a Christian, you are born again, and you have the new purpose to love the family of God. Born again, to love the family of God. Have a look at verse 22. Since you've purified yourself by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly because you have been born again. Peter's saying that when somebody becomes a Christian, something remarkable happens. See what it says in verse 22. They purified themselves by obeying the truth. And if you look down at verse 25, you see what the truth is. It's the good news about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus came to earth to come to a world that had turned away from God and invite them back into relationship with God. And they heard this glorious message, and they believed it, they obeyed it, and they purified themselves. Or another way of putting that, verse 23, you have been born again. God has given you new spiritual life. And as a result, they show brotherly love, sincere brotherly love for one another. That is to say, they've been welcomed into God's family. The remarkable thing, that for someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, the God who created this universe is their father. Jesus Christ is their brother. And every other Christian on this planet is their brother and sister. And if you're a Christian tonight, that is the privilege God has given you. But in order for this to happen, something earth-shattering, something fundamental needs to happen. We need to be born again. Because the Bible says, by nature, we are not part of God's family. Now, to many ears, that sounds offensive. You often hear, don't you, kind of people say, look, we're all children of God. It's a nice kind of sentiment. Look, all people on earth, we're all children of God. doesn't matter where we're from, we're all children of God. But the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible denies that that is true. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible says that all humans are created by God, that God loves every person on this earth immeasurably. But that does not mean 
we're part of God's family. In fact, by nature, each one of us turns from God. God has loved us and made us and blessed us, and yet we turn from Him and shake our fists in the sky, and we spiritually are dead. We're cut off from the source of life. And God says, if you want to be welcomed into my family, you need to be born again. The spiritually dead need to be raised to life. And Peter says, you guys in Turkey... God has done this work in you. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Peter says, when you heard about Jesus, you didn't just hear human words. It was God's word. The words of this Bible, whether in an iPad or in a physical book or on a scroll, they are God's word, breathed out by God. And as such, they are alive like a seed. Think of a seed put on, you know, those little tissue things. When someone puts some crest on a tissue and you add water and that little kind of dusty seed sprouts to life. And like a seed, the Word of God is brimming with power and energy and potential to give new life because it comes with God's Spirit. And friends, I think we're supposed to marvel at the power of God's Word. Peter quotes this verse from Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah prophet in the Old Testament uh, before Jesus came, and he says these words. He says, all human society will fall down and wither, but God's word stands forever. Have a look at the words, verse 24. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Friends, if people came into this room tonight by accident and they saw what we were doing, they would think there's something profoundly incongruous about what we're doing, wouldn't they? We're surrounded by modern technology. We're in the, the premier building on this campus, a brand new building, surrounded by all this glorious technology. And yet, what is at the center of what we're doing? An ancient book. Written two, three, four millennia ago. It's incongruous, isn't it? And yet God says no. Because all of our technology, all of our human achievements, all of our human learning is but grass. It is just like the flower of the grass. It is here today and tomorrow thrown onto the compost heap. But the word of God endures forever. Will continue giving new life, giving new birth. The gospel may look hopeless and impotent, but it is full of power. Joe Biden, Jacinda Ardern, Elon Musk, one day they will be gone, but the word of God will still be working around the world. The latest technology, the most fashionable celebrities, one day they will be gone and God's word will remain. The Roman Empire, one of the greatest empires on earth that surrounds these people in Turkey with all of its power and might is gone. And God's word remains. I'm really sorry if there are any Romanians here. Is anyone from Romania here? Great, I'm safe. I, I, can't, I have no idea how to pronounce this guy's name. But it looks like Georgie Georgie Dage. I'm just going to call him Dage. But Georgie Georgie Dage was the prime minister of Romania. 
He was a man uh, who, who was in power from just after the Second World War to sometime in the 60s. And he was the leader of the Romanian communist state. A man who literally, his words could mean life and death to thousands of people. He was a man who hated Christians, had many thrown into prison. Well, one day, as Dej is coming out of uh, the, the parliament building, some Christians force their way to the front of a little crowd and begin to speak to him of Jesus. They begin to tell him the gospel, tell him that contrary to what, atheism, uh, to what Marxism says, there is a God in heaven, and he loves you, and he's died on the cross to pay for your sins. Well, Prime Minister Dej, for their efforts, has them thrown into prison, where they're tortured brutally. But why not two decades? And Dej is diagnosed with lung cancer. He's on his deathbed. And somehow that word sown on those parliament steps, that gospel message begins to come to life and flower. And in the weeks before he dies, Dej chooses to follow Jesus. This powerful man who's hated Christians, he is changed. The Romanian communist state is gone, but the word of the Lord continues and works. And what power it has from that almost random encounter, 20 years later, bringing new life. And Peter says, you, if you're a believer, are born again by this powerful word. You have a new identity. And so love God's people. Have a look again at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, since you've been born again, uh, sorry, therefore, that is to say, since you've been born again by this word, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander, these kind of poisonous traits that destroy love, and rather, like newborn infants, desire them pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation, if you've tasted that the Lord is good." These guys are under immense pressure from society around. They're, many of them would have been part of trade guilds. And as part of trade guilds, they'd have had to go to shrines and, uh, and get drunk together and offer up sacrifices to idols. And these believers say, no, we're not going to do it. And maybe that's fine for a time. But when business begins to fail, well, people turn on them. It's your fault. And they look down on them. Perhaps they lose their jobs. People sneer at them. And when pressure comes from the outside, it's so tempting, isn't it, to turn and blame one another. People are being malicious to me, so I'll be malicious to someone else. Perhaps to envy, well, I've lost my job, but you haven't. So I envy what has happened. And Peter is saying that destroys love. It's the opposite of the purpose God has given to us. Friends, maybe some of us tonight wrestle with some of these things, and God says, get rid of it. Hypocrisy, envy, slander, but rather desire the pure milk of the word. Because this pure milk, this word doesn't just give us new birth. It changes us that we might love as we're designed to do. And friends, just look at this language. I don't know if you know any newborn infants. Maybe you've got a kind of cousin or a nephew. or Newborn infants do one thing. They, well, maybe two things. They drink milk, and then they poop it out. That's all they do. Two things. Drink and poop. Drink and poop. Drink and poop. That's all they do. That's right, isn't it, Ryan? Ryan's got a newborn infant. He knows. That's all they do. 
And isn't it interesting? He uses that example. Like a newborn infant whose very lifeblood is the milk. Desire the word of God. Because it's through that word of God we will grow up into our salvation. It's through this word of God we'll be more and more the people God recreated us to be. But friends, think about the way you read your Bible. The way you listen to sermons. Is that a fitting image? Could you really say hand on heart you're like a newborn infant? Or are you more like a picky toddler, sort of turning your nose up at bits and pieces? As the alarm goes off tomorrow morning, there's something in us that said the thing I need more than anything else at this moment is to hit the snooze button. And yet God says, Peter says, no, desire the word of God because by it we will grow up to be the people we're designed to be. So you might be thinking, well, here we go again. Pastor's talking about the Bible. Ah, oh, got to read the Bible more. But friends, if a midwife was to keep going on about the infant needing milk, we wouldn't say that, would we? When the, you take an infant to a clinic, she's almost obsessed. Is this baby eating enough? She weighs it. Is it eating enough milk? Why? Is it because she's obsessed? No, because whether it drinks the milk or not is a matter of life and death. And friends, so too with us, this milk will keep us spiritually alive. Now, there are two dangers here. On the one hand, we maybe listen to the word, but we don't obey it. We just listen. You know, I, I, I wander around, I listen to the Bible, maybe I, I listen to a podcast, I, I come to church and but when I'm out the door, I'm out the door. And see how different that is to what these guys do. Verse 22, they didn't just listen to the truth. They purified themselves by obedience to it. They heard it and thought, what does this mean in my life? They asked God, God, please help me to believe this and live it out. And so they purified their souls. That's why it's so good that we have connect groups. So we can together come back and look at this passage again this week and think, how does it apply to my life? How do I purify my life by this truth? How do I help someone else do that? And if you're not in a connect group, then come to Newish Connect next week and get in one. If you're not yet a believer, come to Explaining Christianity and work out what does it mean for you to obey this truth. Well, one danger is we just simply listen. But the other danger is we try and make this change by our own power. We hear this thing and think, okay, I need to love the church. Well, that's pretty tricky. There's some funny people in church, but I'm going to try. And we try hard. But the reality is we'll never in our own strength be able to do this. One of the other questions in the survey was, what do you most hope people know about you? And the number one answer was, I most hope. I wonder how you'd answer that, actually. How would people answer that? What do you most hope people know about you? Not a trick question. Well, it might be a trick question, but what do, what do you most hope? Anybody? What do you long people would know about you? I don't have any chocolate, so I can't bribe you like Andrew did. <laughs> I'll tell you what the survey people said. The number one thing I hope people would know, me, know about me is that I'm kind. Isn't that interesting? That not just in a kind of, ah. Oh, he's kind. But actually, I take it that means that I want to be kind. 
I want to be genuine. I want to be authentic and be kind to people. But the problem with that is, it's a wonderful aim, isn't it? But in our own strength, we can't do it. Because the Bible says when we're cut off from God, when we don't have spiritual life in us, it's not just that we don't love God, but we can't love one another. And friends, if you don't believe that, try and do it. Try for the next 24 hours to be kind as you can, to be 100% kind, perfectly kind, and you'll find you can't do it. Try in every interaction you have with people to be kind. In every word you say to be kind. In every thought to be kind. And you won't be able to do it. Earlier in the week, I thought I'd take up that challenge. I thought I'd try that. And um, just as I was thinking this, it was probably the wrong thing to do, I, I had to phone Air New Zealand. And I had to change a flight. And it was just as the, the bubble was bursting with Australia. And so as I phoned them up, I'm sitting in a queue for over an hour. I'm thinking, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be kind. And eventually I get through to this woman after I've listened to all that you know, annoying music they play. Some of you guys might one day work for Air New Zealand. If you, work for, if you get a job in Air New Zealand in the future, cut the music. Why do we need the annoying music? Anyway, I get through. I'm annoyed. But I think I'm going to be kind. And so all I need to do is change a flight. Anyway, she asked me for all the names of the passengers. I say my names. And then she says, oh, one of them's not right. Oh, really? Yeah, the, one of the kids. Can you just tell me it again? The kid's name's Louis. Oh, it doesn't say Louis. It says Lewis. I think I know my own kid's name. I'm still being kind, though. I'm being really kind. But in my head, I'm thinking, you are a muppet. <laughs> I just said I'll be kind. I can't do it. And do you know what? Neither can you. If you don't believe me, try it. You can prove the Bible's true at this point, because you can't do it. I guarantee you. If you can, come back to me next week and tell me you did. And I'll tell you you're a liar. <laughs> but as people born again, this word doesn't just change us to begin the Christian life. It changes us daily so that we can go on in the Christian life. Because as we read this word, we fellowship with God and he changes us to make us more like Jesus. As we keep receiving this word, we see the areas where we're not like him and we say, Father, forgive me. Thank you that your grace is there to forgive me. And we ask him to change us. And through this word, he begins to change us. That's why we need to do it, to get rid of these things and to grow up into our salvation. Friends, if you're someone who longs to be kind... But actually, you know in your heart of hearts you can't be kind. You can't love as you long to. Jesus invites you tonight to be changed, to give you new spiritual life so that you can love God and love others. Born again with a duty to love. just want you to note one more thing here, though. See what the motivation is. Do this if you've tasted the Lord is good. So many people think Christianity is about pleasing an ogre in the sky. Yeah, let's read the Bible. Let's find out more from the Bible because otherwise we're going to be on the wrong side of God. And it says, no, come to the Bible because then you'll discover experientially how good God is because by his word he speaks to us. This is a quote from King David. And I think the reason Peter quotes it is because David is on the run. He's being hunted down. He's like the people in Turkey. He's an exile. And yet his experience of God in exile, as he calls to him, is that God pours out blessing. God is good to him. And Peter is saying, desire this milk of the word because it's pure and good. 
and you'll taste God is good. So let's come and desire this word. Well, Christians have been given a new birth with a new purpose to love the family of God. Now, some might say, okay, well, if that's our purpose, why don't we just kind of clear off and, and live on a commune? And then we could live loving each other to our heart's content. And some groups have done that, haven't they? And it's not turned out very well often. Why don't we do that, though? That seems to be a logical thing to do, if that's our identity. But we've got more than that. We don't just have a purpose to love one another. We have a purpose to glorify God in the world. And that's the second thing we see. In verses 3 to 10, Peter plunders the Old Testament. He takes loads of things that have been said about Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, and says, this is true about you. You have a new identity as the blessed people of God with a new purpose to glorify God in the world. And it's all possible because of our relationship to Jesus. If you're writing notes on the sheet, I've changed the points slightly, so ignore what I wrote on the sheet. But we have a new corporate identity with a purpose to glorify God in the world because of our relationship with Jesus. And friends, I want us to see how amazing this new identity is. He, he speaks to this motley crew scattered throughout Turkey. And he says, you are God's glorious people. He says to us tonight, with all of our funny traits and purposes scattered through Auckland, you are God's people. And he piles up the imagery. The first thing he says is, in effect, you are God's temple. Look at verse 4. You came to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Now, before Jesus came, if you wanted to go to God, you had to go to the temple, which means you have to go to Jerusalem. So if you're in modern Turkey, you have to go a long way. And then when you eventually get to Jerusalem, you have to get a priest to offer up a sacrifice to deal with your impurity so you can go into God's presence. But do you see what Peter says? You don't need to go to Turkey. You don't need to kill an animal because we are God's holy temple. We together are being built into a holy house. We together are spiritual priests. The way we meet with God now is in the church, not in the building, not only in this place. We sometimes speak of church, I don't know, are you going to uni church? We mean, are we coming here at 6.15? But if you're a believer, church is not just something we do. It's who we are. We together are the church. We together are God's people. And this is where God reveals himself amongst us. We can have intimate fellowship with him. And friends, do you see the radically communal nature of this? If we come to Jesus, we're made alive. It says here, if we come to the living stone, we're being made alive like stones. But not like stones sort of scattered around a field all on our own. No stones that are built together. That we are being built together into this spiritual house. And do you see how this embraces all of us? Maybe there's someone here tonight. And if you had to be totally honest, you almost didn't come. You kind of think of the people here and you think, well, what have I got to offer? And this says, this is for you. You might feel you have no gifts. You might feel that your life hasn't been worthy this week. But if you believe in Jesus, if you are a living stone, 
made alive, then you are part of this building and you are being built together. Or maybe somebody else thinks, I don't need to go to church. I'm a lone wolf. I'll just read on my own. I'll just watch some sermons on the YouTube. And it says, no. If that's you, you've missed the point. Because we are being built together. And the local church expresses this reality that we are a new temple. This is where God works. Friend, if you just come to Auckland, it doesn't matter whether you join EV, but join a local church. Because that is who you are. You are part of the people of God. It's even more clear, isn't it, in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, Peter is picking up all kinds of Old Testament verses, not least in Exodus 19, just before they received the Ten Commandments. And he's saying this kind of glorious thing that Israel had, This is now for the church. And just look at what we have here. A chosen race. A race made up of people from all nations. Look around. In this room, there are people of all different skin colors, with all different kinds of backgrounds, and yet together we are one new race. A royal priesthood of princesses and princes coming into the presence of God, enjoying intimate fellowship with him. A new nation. Holy like God is holy. Friends, this language is remarkable, isn't it? All around the world are groups and organizations striving to be one, to overcome division and fear and racism and all those kind of things. And this is God has done it in the church. It won't be Black Lives Matter that rids the world of racism. It's done in the church, in this new nation and new race. A friend of mine is a pastor of a church in Israel. And in that church, there are Jewish people and there are Palestinians. Jews and Palestinians, probably the biggest division in the modern world, is it not? And yet in that church together, they're one because they believe in Jesus. Their barriers are torn down. Peter carries on. You are God's people, God's possession. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ... God possesses you. He delights in you. Friends, aren't these extraordinary things that he says? Isn't this an extraordinary new identity? But when we say this, doesn't it sound arrogant? Maybe there's someone here thinking, that is such an arrogant thing to say. How can you say that Christians are chosen? How can you say that it is Christians who have this intimate access to God? It's just arrogant. And there's a sensual right. We are nothing, verse 10. We were by rights not a people. By rights we had not received mercy. By rights all of us were under God's judgment and wrath. But we have this new identity because of Jesus. It all depends on our relationship to Jesus. Let me show you that in verse 4. Verse 4, we have this odd image of two kind of building projects. On the one hand, there's the building project of humanity. And then on the other hand, there's God's building project. And see what happens in these building projects. You come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. And in human building plans, 
in the great human building project, the, the, the project that seeks to make a name for humanity and bring glory to ourselves. There's no need for God. And we see that project all around, don't we? Humans who think that they can throw off the shackles of, of superstitious religion and walk upright. We see it everywhere. Just before we went into lockdown, uh, last time, when was that? Kind of February, I think. And that sudden lockdown, Saturday night, and uh, the PM calls a press conference, and we saw a little bit of that human building project. And this is not a dig at the Prime Minister, but she said, and almost any politician these days could have said it, she said, we humans, we've overcome it before. We've beaten the virus before, and we'll do it again. But it's human power. How do we know? How do we know? And that human building project has no need for God. And so when Jesus comes to earth saying, join my building project, come back into the family of God, what do humans do? We reject him. That stone is rejected and chucked away. We, are, we kill him. We nail him to a tree. And yet as this human building project is casting Jesus aside, God's building project is choosing him and making him the cornerstone and foundation for God's project. God raises him from the dead and raises him to life and makes him the cornerstone. See that in verse 6. See, I lay a stone in Zion in my holy place, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. You see, if we believe in Jesus, God gives us this glorious identity and we will never ultimately be shamed. Maybe some of you know what it is to be shamed, like Julius, for believing in Jesus. Maybe you invited a friend to come here tonight and you just got a scoffle, a scoff and a laugh, and you felt shame. And Peter is saying, you may feel shame now, but ultimately, if you believe in Jesus, you will not be shamed, but you will be honored Verse 7, so honor will come to you who believe. Friend, you see that's a promise to you and to me. Because we have this identity in relation to Jesus. But the amazing thing here is it's not just Christians whose identity is defined by Jesus. Every single person in this room, every single person in the cities, true identity is defined by Jesus. Because either... God is building us into his glorious building project, or we've stumbled over Jesus. Look at verse eight, uh, verse seven. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over, a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word they were destined to do. Do you see, friends, what we make of Jesus is crucially important. We can either be built on him or fall down and stumble over him. Someone might say, well, I'm not interested in Jesus, but I'm not stumbling over him. I'm just not interested. And if you want to use that image, well, I'm, I'm just walking around, just passing by. And God says that is not possible. There are only two ways. Either you are on him being built up or you're falling over him. Either you are a people or you are not a people. Either you have received mercy from God or you have not and God's wrath remains on you. And you see, this is said not to be aggressive or angry. God says this to invite each one of us to join and believe in Jesus and be built in to his product, 
into his glorious new building, his glorious new people. Well, friends, maybe there are some tonight who need to believe in Jesus. Maybe you've got questions. Ask them afterwards. Come to explaining Christianity. But please do not stumble over Jesus. A glorious new identity. Coming from relationship to Jesus. But do you see, if we have this new identity, we also have a new purpose. The purpose is to glorify God in the world. That is our chief task in life. Look at verse 5. You are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. We are to live in this world, but we live here consciously offering everything to God. Not giving animals, not just kind of offering up some incense or something like that, but to give our lives to glorify him, whether that's in our, in our work or in our classroom or in our friendships. We do everything for his glory. And in particular, we praise him. Look at verse 9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We love to tell stories, don't we? We, we love to tell stories. Maybe some of you have got some stories from this week that you, you're just looking forward to telling people over dinner. Something kind of cool that happened this week, or some adversity you overcame, or some mate who did something stupid. You're just looking forward to telling it. And as we tell a story, we enjoy it, don't we? And the person who listens, well, they, they enjoy it too. Well, if we know the God who called us out of darkness, the Lord Jesus who came from the glory of heaven down to earth to be crucified and killed on a cross to bring us into God's glorious light, do we not long to tell that story? And as we tell the story, it's good for us as we praise him. And as we hear the story, like we heard Julius' story, it's good for those who hear. Because as we speak these praises, God's enduring, powerful word is unleashed. We may not see the, the, the word sprout for, for decades. Like that prime minister, they may lie buried, but God's word will work. So my friends, let's give up our lowly and small ambitions. The purpose of your life is not to be a great academic. The purpose of your life is not to become a great lawyer or a great doctor or a great tradesperson. It's not to become a great father or a great husband or a great wife or a great mother. It's to glorify Jesus Christ. This week, your purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ, to sing his praises, to proclaim his fame before a dying world, that others might come to worship and praise him. If we know this great story, do we not long to do that? There was a church, it was kind of an old-fashioned church, and at the end of the service, they passed around a collection plate. Maybe some of your home churches, you've seen, you know, these big gold plates. And the pastor had preached the gospel, and there was a small boy and he was so amazed at what Jesus had done for him, how he'd been rescued. And the plate's coming along the line, and the boy fumbles in his pocket and thinks, I want to give some to God. He pulls out things of his pocket, some chewing gum, a few coins, rumbles in this pocket, pulls out a mouse, thinks that's not really appropriate. So the plate's coming to him. 
And as the plate gets to me, thinks, what can I give? This God has given all to me. And eventually puts the plate on the floor and he steps into it. I give God everything. And friends, do you see this is what we are called to do? Give God everything. Our life to praise him. If you're a believer, you're born again, called to love the family of God. If you're a believer, you are one of God's glorious people, a new people to glorify God in the world. May he give us the grace to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we long that you would help us just to understand how glorious this new identity you've given us is. Impress it upon our hearts that if we are yours, we are born again. That we are a glorious new people, a new temple, a chosen race, the holy priesthood. And Father, we long, help us to live out that identity in this world. Father, for those who are not yours, those who are looking in, thank you so much they are here. And we see this warning that if we're not careful, we stumble over Jesus. We pray for them. Help them to find out about Jesus, that they too might be born again and welcomed into your glorious family. We ask it for Jesus' sake and for our good that we might live out this glorious identity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.